This is Sexy Funny Raw, where we chat all about the world of sex, from dating and relationships all the way to the adult industry itself. I'm Sylvia Sage, and this is my Pornspective, answering all the questions you weren't even brave enough to ask Google. Get ready, because Sexy Funny Raw starts now. Welcome back to another episode of Sexy Funny Raw. I am your host, Sylvia Sage, and I am joined with my co-host, Dr. Eddie, giving us his public health perspective. Thank you, Dr. Eddie. And in studio this month, we have the lovely Angeline Miranda. Oh my gosh, Miranda. I almost yep. lost it in my it. brain after <laughs> saying it four or five times today. So uh, thank you so much for being here. Uh, actor, comedian, and sex educator herself. So we're very uh, happy to have you here. Thanks. So we are talking today about sex education, or should I say lack thereof, right? Because uh, we are here in the wonderful United States, which I do love living here, but one thing we are lacking is um, severely is sex education. I mean, even within the U.S. itself, there are so many different standards from um, state to state of what you're even learning. So some um, some places have a mandatory sex education. Some have mandatory HIV education. Um, some have both sex and HIV education. And then some of them have no curriculum whatsoever. So uh, I believe we actually do have a map if we could pull that up really quick. I mean, looking at this map here now, let's not like um, let's not just make blanket statements of um, what's going on here. But I think we can tell uh, what's actually going on here of. Um, look at the, so I'm from a state that has, um, the HIV education mandatory. Okay. So, and I will tell you the sex education, I'm from Missouri, by the way. Um, I will tell you the sex education that I received was, um, don't have sex. Or if you're going to have sex, uh, here's what's going to happen. And it's going to be a giant case of like, uh, face herpes, you know? So there was like the worst case scenario being presented to us. It was never, ever anything helpful. Um, it was never learning how to stay tested or, um, even, um, having sex in general of what would make it safe, what would make it consensual, the conversations that need to come around it. None of that was actually had in, in mind. Um, my sex education, it's interesting because it does say HIV education mandatory, which now granted I was in high school 20 years ago and in sex education even longer than that. But I don't ever remember even getting like an HIV um, education. I felt like the HIV education we got was that it happens to gay men. That was the category that it was put in for me and it was never something that I even thought was something I was at risk of which is so crazy <laughs> well it was grid for so long uh, gay related right right, right. so mm -hmm. it was grid for so long and 20 years ago probably it wasn't uh, yeah. it certainly wasn't uh, mandatory mandatory everywhere yeah. and it had just started only 10 years before that right mm -hmm. and so you know, I think that the challenge there uh, is that at least we've made some progress. Right. So there's progress uh, in some areas, but it's not enough. Uh, and talking about uh, sex education isn't going to make people go out and have more sex. It's going to make them go out and have safer, safer sex. Safer <laughs> sex. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at where we're getting uh, where young people are getting their sex education and it's coming a lot from pornography and um now, we say this, and as we were talking before the show, I said 
Now, we say that that sex education is, or that porn is where people are getting their sex education, but there's also such a weird stigma around females watching pornography. And I feel like, especially as a younger person, uh, I remember being in a group of my friends and it was like, who watches pornography? And I certainly would have never raised my hand because it would have made me look like a slut or made me look too promiscuous. So like I needed to have it. And of course, as a woman, I'm supposed to be this virginal creature and I'm not supposed to crave sex in the same way that men do. That's also an expert in oral and anal and yeah, all of right. <laughs> yeah, the Madonna yeah. whore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But that's just it. Is there's so many double standards and men are coming into this as like, oh, I I have to perform up to these levels and I have to bring my masculinity to the sex and I have to really dominate my woman when that's not the sex that should be having at all, when it should be very mutual and mutually beneficial. I think it becomes a challenge because we absolutely say sex education should not be coming from the adult film industry and pornography, mm-hmm. period, right? right? Hard stop. However, um, there's a there's no sex education in so many places. <laughs> that is absolutely where a lot of people are getting their sex education. Yeah. So we have two things that don't make any sense together yeah. because the intention of the adult film industry, as you well know, was never to be an educator, right? right? We, they don't mask it that way. They don't brand it that way, but it is. Yeah. And so the problem with this, like... Uh, of these two things not really connecting or um, meshing well Mm -hmm. um, is that we have a complete generation of people that are learning sex wrong. Mm -hmm. So even if women were learning sex from pornography, they would in fact be learning it wrong because they'd be like, perhaps I'm there's something wrong with me because she's having an orgasm via vaginal penetration, Mm -hmm. which is a lot of pornography nowadays. Mm -hmm. But that's not a reality, as we've discussed before. Um, And so if that's the case, it's actually creating an environment where we're messing our kids up. Yes. So also, even if uh, you did receive sex ed in school, I don't want to scare anybody, but a lot of us also learned it wrong because it wasn't until, what does it say? Uh, I think 2005, a congressional report found that 80 percent of federally funded abstinence only programs were teaching blatant disinformation. And this included um, facts like latex condoms causing cancer and hormonal hormonal birth control only being like 20 percent effective, neither Mm. of which are true statistics. Mm -hmm. They also were showing um, videos in which they uh, promoted homophobia and would liken women who were unwed and having premarital sex to dirty used socks. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not a lesson that I think any of us should want our children to be sitting in on. (laughs) Absolutely not. But let's talk about it because that is what is happening in the U.S. culture, right? That's what's happening in uh, the United States in our sex education. But that's not what's happening in the rest of the world. Now, granted, we are ahead of some countries and we are way behind others. So there are some European countries, uh, for instance, who are really having conversations about sex. And instead of um, making the sex... um, something that's shameful or um, that shouldn't be happening. They're actually providing contraceptives and they're um, providing them with the correct information and what they will need to have a happy, healthy sex life. And in doing so, they actually have a way lower teen pregnancy rate. And Uh, STI rates and abortion rates and all of those things. Definitely. Right. Absolutely. Because I mean, a lot of this teen pregnancy is coming because we're not providing our children with what they actually need. We, they're not provided with the contraceptives. They're, you know, they're doing this in secret. It's the same way of like the uh, back alley abortions. If it's if it's made 
accessible to you. You don't have to go about it the wrong ways. But when it's taken away from you and it's not like these people aren't going to be having sex, we forget that. You can't just preach abstinence to people and they go, oh, yep, that's the way. No, because sex is a part of our culture. It's a, it's innate part of our our way of survival. It's how we keep going as a species. We have to have sex. We will have sex. Most of us will be having sex in our lives. You're not going to stop it. What we want to do is create an environment where you can talk about it, have it healthy, have the contraceptives, have the things, and not be having children having children without any knowledge of how to have a child, how to raise a child, how to you know financially support a child. There are so many things that come with teaching this way of abstinence that in the shameful you know way that we approach sex in the United States, it can be extremely harmful to our offspring. I think it's always like a, a yes or no in the United States. Like we're not going to give you any. Uh, we're not going to do age appropriate education. We're not going to do any of those things because all of it is going to push you to into more sex promiscuity, right? right? Yes. Potentially, and so that like no approach to everything definitely feeds into a lot of these problems. Yeah. So the United Nations and the World Health Organization both agree that uh, healthy sexuality is a fundamental human right. Love that. Uh, you are allowed to exercise it or not exercise it as you please, but you are entitled to it and you are entitled to safety surrounding it. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about um, like the age appropriate sex education, I would really encourage anyone who is scared by the idea of comprehensive sex education to go on these websites and look at what the recommended curriculum is because if I were going to go into a kindergarten class, I would not be teaching them about kink. Right. I would not be teaching them about <laughs> prophylactics and condoms. Right. I would be talking to them actually about emotional skills, about their bodies, mm -hmm. and about how to like something that gets stressed so much. And I want parents to know this: how to find a safe adult. Mm -hmm. This is how we stop grooming. This mm. is how we stop sexual assault is we teach children how to identify the adults in their lives that are safe for them to go speak to if something ever makes them feel uncomfortable or untoward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually love that because I mean, I am I am a product of I was molested as a child and I certainly did not feel safe going to anyone in my life and I I you feel this sense of judgment like it is somehow your fault that, you know, these things that are happening you are inviting in some way shape or form which is, you know, just crazy but as a child, you don't have the uh, your brain isn't fully developed. You don't have the reasoning skills or the the foreshadowing to really see like how this is going to affect you later in life. You just kind of deal with it and you take this personal sex shame and you um, make it your own when really there should be so many ways to identify a safe place to to talk about that. And we could end. You're right. So much mistreatment of our younger generation that is coming up. And then we're putting them into adult life with these now very complex sexual ideals you know yes so yeah. and we're not giving them the tools yeah that they really need to be able to be function like functioning happy adults right because there's all this stuff mired in like the sexual being and whether that's good or bad or wrong or traumatized and all of those cases and so that Without providing the tools, we're setting our kids and our younger generations up, up for, for failure. Absolutely. And let's not forget the one thing that pornography skips out the most on on sex is the love, the connection, <laughs> yeah. right? That's what we want our children to have. So I let's... love the pizza delivery guy. Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. You know what? Me too. Right? <laughs> yeah. Let's have that conversation and make sex about love. It should be with a person who treats you well and cares for you and makes you feel comforted and loved. 
And it shouldn't just be with, you know, the pizza guy. We're role playing this and we're making this a fun experience for the person that you're in this relationship with. And that can be fun later on down the line. But let's make a, a base of how you should be treated before entering into a sexual relationship. And you are certainly not going to get that in pornography. Well, you no. have to love yourself, right? Yes. Well, right. right. So I know that we often throw that around, like you have to love yourself first right. before you can be true, in a though. functional relationship, but it really absolutely is mm-hmm. important and true. Put your own face mask on before you uh, <laughs> assist somebody else, yes. you know, if the plane is going down, right? Oh, and also, I think um, adults, how we talk to children about sex does impact how they feel about sex for themselves and with other people. So if we feel shame about it and we are constantly tiptoeing around it Mm -hmm. within a framework of shame, that gets passed on to them. And I am just of the opinion that we all want easier, better lives for the generations that come after us. So some of that is then our responsibility to undo any of the trauma that was inflicted on us because Mm -hmm. of the way that our culture treats sex. Yeah. And maybe it is an uncomfortable situation and, you know, an uncomfortable conversation to have with a, you know, a parent um, to a child that, you know, may get to an uncomfortable place. But being uncomfortable is sometimes a place we need to be to grow. Yeah. You know, so if we're going to grow as a culture and we're going to raise happier, healthy sexual um, beings and we have to get to an uncomfortable place and have these conversations because they're not learning it in schools. okay, Um, as much as we want them to. And what you are learning in schools is sometimes just a scare tactic. And again, not the place we want to be in sex education. So. Can I give the life cycle of abstinence education? Please. Let's do it. it. All right. Everyone uh, take a nice little stretch here. (laughs) So um, abstinence education formally, as we use it in the United States, starts as a little baby in 1981. But it's a rich baby because Ronald Reagan throws $4 million (laughs) at it. This is called AFLA, like AFLAC, or the Adolescent Family Life Act. That's its birthplace. Okay. Uh, Flash forward in 1996, Congress passed is a welfare reform bill, and that has a provision in it that offers $50 million total per year in, uh, what is this? Sorry, in entitlement funding dispersed to states that are teaching abstinence education. So if you were not teaching abstinence education, mm. you could not touch that money. Wow. So now we are incentivizing teaching disinformation. Mm. Clinton signs it, in, signs it into law. This is called Title V. But Title V is a zombie and it rebrands every couple of years. <laughs> so then we get to 2000. Bush signs the Community-Based Abstinence Education Act into uh, law. And this allows the government to bypass state approval and give grants directly to community organizations. So now, i.e. churches. Correct. So now abstinence education is a giant, like, state puff marshmallow size Mm -hmm. baby, and it has a Jesus is my homeboy Um, (laughs) t-shirt. Because most of these are now being religiously funded. Yes. Uh, Then we get to 2005. This is when Congress finds that there is a ton of disinformation out there, and it's like, maybe we should do something about that. In 2009, four years later, Title V expires, and nearly half of all of the states in the United States, kudos to us, have stopped using this and stopped touching the funding. Um, But then in 2010, Congress resurrects it as a part of passing the Affordable Care Act. Resurrect is a great word because I feel like religion might have had something to do mm -hmm. with that. So this is why it's a zombie. We can't seem to fucking kill it. Um, So 
as a trade-off for you know nationalized health care, this got passed into law. Um, in 2011, there is $60 million a year still going out there, and now it's rebranded as the Competitive Abstinence Education Act, so CAE. Uh, then in 2015, as the Sexual Risk Avoidance Education Act, which is actually borrowing language from sex activists and sex educators who are advocating for comprehensive sex education. Uh, since the 80s, we have funded 2.1 billion with a B dollars into oh. abstinence education. That is your taxpayer dollars at wow. work. And that is the equivalent, according to a uh, net worth of, let's see, one and two thirds of a Kim Kardashian, seven Leonardo DiCaprio's <laughs> or four Beyonce's or 11 one thousandths of an Elon Musk. Wow. That is because here's the here's the question I have with all of this abstinence preaching. You're only teaching abstinence until the marriage, correct? Because that's what we're getting to with religion. So we only want abstinence until you're married, which fine. Great. Now you've got two married people who have waited to have. What? What are they? What? Where? (laughs) <laughs> what are they doing when they get there? Relatively you know? unsatisfying. Because sense, they haven't perhaps? been watching porn, so they haven't even gotten that sex education. Because we we've been on this abstinence train, so now we're we're starting from what? Where are we exploring? Where are we? Well, but we're we're implying that people are actually not watching right. porn, and people are right. actually being right. abstinent right. Uh, when that's. Clearly not, not the case right. based on a bunch of other variables, right. right? Like STIs and pregnancy and all that stuff. So if it's not working, it doesn't make any sense. Right. Um, but I just re- want to know the agenda, you know? <laughs> like, where are we? What are we doing to these married people? You know? I think culturally we're scared <laughs> yeah. of sex still oh, 100%. at large. And I think that's what's fueling a lot of this because in the face of fear, logic dies yeah sure well you know who's having the most amazing sex uh gay men you know they're just frolicking <laughs> around having the best sex no no nobody's thinking about it you know nobody's getting judged it's so great i feel like i feel like gay men are at the like the hierarchy of like great happy sex lives and i would push back on that would just you? a little bit i would absolutely i'd say that they're uh, they're more exploratory more exploratory, absolutely. Right. Probably a little bit more free and Freed. clear with yes. communication on what they want and what they like and yeah. what they want to experience. But I don't know if it's more satisfying mm. only in that um, a lot of it's not relationship based a lot mm-hmm. of the time where you're getting relationships from one partner and you're having sex with multiple others. Mm. And that's not always the case across the board. Right. And all relationships are completely different. Right. But I, I wouldn't certainly place them as like happier in the sex the realm. Oh, I, uh, I do. I do. <laughs> I see because I see like my my gay friends. Friends and and what they are taking part of. I think it's because I see gay men as being so open yeah. and free with their sexuality. They're that's where I see. Definitely having better anal sex. Though. Well, well, yeah. <laughs> that's for sure. That's true. Yeah. Uh, no, I just think uh, I think for me, what I've seen is just the openness, and that's kind of where I'm gauging that. Yeah, that, that makes better sense. sex. Yeah. Because I feel like there isn't as much stigma between man-to-man sex as there is between female and male. Maybe that's where I'm seeing that. Yeah, Mars and Venus, that whole fucking framework. Right. Yeah. right, Except if we're talking through media, through acceptance in a culture and society. And all of those kind of are, are the opposite, right? Where women-women right. uh, is okay because right. the heteronormative, like, white man wants it's to for see my it. Gaze. Yeah. Right. Uh, but two men impacts or makes me feel things about my own masculinity perhaps right right and so that can be problematic for so many and so mm. I think there's a, there's a little bit of everything in there yeah and it's not always so easy and we have to be conscious of some of the nuance and that gets lost in like a one minute snippet 
right, right? in some places. Yes. Right. So I think uh, let's go ahead and make sure that we have places for them to find more sex education. You mentioned um, earlier with the the United Nations and the World Health Organization. If you Google either one of those with sex education, there should be resources for you. Um, Also, Psychus. S-I-E-C-U-S is specifically about sex education in the United States. And their site has a ton of great resources, statistics. That's where I pulled all of the abstinence education stuff from. Yeah, uh, The CDC also does. And yeah. Planned Parenthood is not just for women. That's true. Uh, Planned Parenthood has ton of really great information. Yeah. It's not only about abortions. It's about yes. a lot of other things and a ton of different contraceptives. It, it's about health. Yeah. Uh, right? And so uh, that gets lost in some of the messages that yeah. we get all the time. Uh, Planned Parenthood is like equals this, but that's not mm-hmm. a real statement. Right. right. Yeah. There's so much more that they do. And they do a whole lot of like um, sex preparation and like things like that. Definitely. So, yeah. yeah. And I feel like they don't they also do it's a, a safe zone for um, young women also to go without their parents. Yes. So um, they will if you go with somebody or even if you go alone at some point, you will receive some kind of like a person to person questionnaire in which they ask you about like, do you feel safe at home? Right. Have you been coerced? Are you here with anybody? Uh that kind of stuff to ensure that like you're there of your own volition and yeah. you're getting the health you want, the care you want. Because I feel like that can be a thing too with a lot of our youth is they don't feel like they have any place to actually turn to. And so you're kind of at the mercy of whoever your parent or caregiver and kind of what they're allowing you to learn or, you know, uh, seek access to. So good to find. So thank you very much for that. Uh, Dr. Andy, anything else you feel you need to add? No, I think we're good. All right, guys, uh, wrapping up another amazing episode. Thank you so much, Angeline, for being here with us. We are so grateful to you, and we hope to have you back uh, for many more episodes. I'm going to stalk you all the time now. <laughs> Same. Um, so tell the people where they can find you. Um, you can find me on Instagram at AP Advanced Placement Sex Education, and then you can find me on TikTok at AP Sex, S-E-G-G-S, Ed, because one time I changed my bio to Abstinence Education Can Suck My Toe, and TikTok banned me for two days. Wow. Wow, that is interesting. Wow. Good for you. That is so funny. That is so amazing. What a protest. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Dr. Eddie, thank you so much for um, all of your information as well. We are so grateful to have you. Um, all right, guys. And until next time, adios. 